This episode of U-Turn is sponsored by Electric Pulp. Electric Pulp is a full-service digital agency specializing in smart, modern solutions for web and mobile. I'll tell you more about them later in the podcast, but for now, you can visit them at electricpulp.com. So I'm here today with uh, Jill Shepard, who is the owner, proprietor, driving creative force, et cetera, et cetera, of Roughhouse Art. That is rough as in what a dog does, not as in the opposite of smooth. So that's R-U-F-F, House Art, can be found at roughhouseart.com. And uh, maybe in a few words, do you want to tell me what you do, Jill? I operate a letterpress stationery studio. So we have kind of two facets to the business. One half is um, we have a product line of greeting cards, art prints, wedding invitations, etc. that we um, sell, sell and wholesale. And then we also have a brick and mortar retail shop that we carry our own products as well as about 100 other vendors' products. Nice. Wow. Okay. So I'm guessing that 10 years ago, you were not doing that. No, I started it in 2009. And that is exactly why we were talking today. As you said, you run a retail store, you've got wholesale operations, you got a lot going on basically. And I think it's pretty interesting. So that's what we're hoping to get into today. So I think it makes sense to start with where you grew up. I grew up in a really small farming community out in Southwest Kansas. Um, My hometown has a population of 400 people. So it's quite, uh, quite a bit different than a city. Uh, Yeah. Did you grow up on a farm then itself? I did. Yeah. My parents are farmers. Interesting. What kind of farm do they run? Um, They're grain farmers. So my dad and my brother now um, farm Wheat, corn, milo, soybeans, um, all crops, no, no livestock. Okay. And then did you grow up uh, participating in all that? Were you doing chores and stuff on the farm, I assume? Yep. Yep. I drove tractors in high school and did all that. So, yep. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's, that is very interesting. So then <laughs> how does a farm girl, I guess you could say, would you have described yourself as a farm girl growing up? Yeah, I think so. So how does a farm girl, I don't know if that's offensive or not, but how does a farm girl from Southwest Kansas end up getting interested in, I'm assuming design was was how you got kind of into the letterpress thing. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because the high school that I went to, um, well, the school I went to was K through 12, the whole school. And so my senior year of high school, grades 9 through 12, there was only 57 students in the whole high school. So it was really small. Um, there were no art programs. There were no extracurricular programs like that. But I had always been interested in art and design just kind of on my own. And so I just decided I was going to go for it and major in graphic design. And I kind of just stuck with it all through college. And that's what I ended up doing. Where'd you end up going to college? I went to school at KU, so the University of Kansas. Now that is the bird mascot, right? Not the, I don't even know what the, okay. The Jayhawks, the Jayhawks, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, yeah. in Lawrence, which is where I am now. Oh, okay. Okay. So farm girl from Southwest Kansas, small, tiny town, 400 people or so interested in art ends up uh, kind of making it a thing in college then it sounds like. So you did some graphic design. Were you able to work with any clients in in college or was it mostly just project-based work for classes? It was all just project-based and hypothetical clients. Oh, sure. Of course. So the professor says, hey, this is the type of business or this is the type of project. Yeah. Have at it. Okay. And so once you get done with college, then I assume that you went to work somewhere as a designer. I did. So yeah, I graduated from school and I moved out to Colorado 
And uh, my first job, I was a graphic designer for Copper Mountain Ski Resort, um, which was pretty fun. And then, um, and then I, I kind of veered off my path a little bit. I decided that I was really burnt out from school and I wasn't really into design anymore, but, um, all through college as kind of a side job. I had coached cheerleading and gymnastics. And so I thought I'm going to go do that for a while. And so I actually quit my job as a graphic designer and went and, um, was program director at a little gymnastics studio for a year after that. And then I feel like that experience made me go, okay, I think I'm ready to go back to (laughs) graphic design. And so, um, that kind of put me back on a path of marketing and design. And I left that job and got another job in graphic design. Okay. So the, the design job that you had, you had straight through, it was the Copper Mountain job and that's the one you quit and then went to do the gymnastics and cheering or was yep. it? Okay. And so how long did you do that for at Copper Mountain? Um, about six months. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was it kind of one of those, I'm out of school now getting thrown in the fire. This is kind of not what I expected type of situations or. Um, I think that I was just really burnt out on, you know, the going through school and everything. It was so intense, you know, in the, the design program was really intense. So when I got out, it wasn't that I didn't like my job or it wasn't what I expected. I think I was just, my heart really just wasn't in it. And I wanted to find something else that kind of satisfied me at the time. And then, so I switched and then that job kind of put everything into perspective. I think of maybe I should go back to graphic design and, and then I kind of like got a, a fresh start at it from there. Oh, sure. Well, I'm guessing you were doing pretty production heavy work at Copper Mountain, like just graphics and other things for their maps and maybe yeah, some web. Yeah. Was that yeah, like marketing and, you know, advertisement and those kind of things. Too. Was that mostly print design that you were doing there? Yes. Okay. Okay. So no, no digital stuff. You're exclusively doing print. Uh-huh. Okay. Very cool. But for six months and then it's off to do the, the coaching thing, but that didn't work out either. <laughs> you no. realize. Then I went back to graphic design and, um, I worked at a few different places. So, um, over the course of the next three or four years and, um, it all in graphic design and marketing and print design and all of that. So about the next three or four years, that was kind of my career path was climbing the ladders of that. So what types of places were you working at when you were working as a designer? Um, I worked at a few different places. I worked at, um, one that was a home builder, um, and real estate. And I worked there for about a year and then, um, I, left there and then worked at, um, another real estate company, which is where I actually met Brian at. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Full disclosure, by the way, for the audience, uh, Jill is the wife of a coworker of mine, Brian Shepard. So that is the mysterious Brian that will probably be referred to more than once. (laughs) Yeah. So I, he actually hired me, um, to do the print design for the company that he was with. And so I worked there for about a year and then left there and worked for a marketing and creative firm. Um, for about a year. And then I moved out of Colorado back to Kansas and I worked for a university for about six months. Um, and then I got laid off my job at the university due to the economy. And that's kind of when my career path shifted. Interesting. So, okay. Had previously, had you thought about doing your own thing ever kind of branching out and either doing the store or doing like your own design consultancy or what, had you ever thought about that before? 
Yeah, I had, you know, my parents are entrepreneurs. Um, my brother, when he graduated college, he joined, um, the family business. And so I always really kind of wanted to own my own business. And, um, of course, farming wasn't my calling. (laughs) And so I, you know, it's funny. I had all these different, um, career paths that I thought I would take, you know, at one time when I was doing the coaching, I thought maybe I would open a gym someday. Um, and then at one point I was like, it'd be fun to own a dog kennel. And I thought about that for a long time. So I always kind of had all these like really random careers that I thought I would eventually own. Um, but when I actually got down to it and I got laid off my job, my, my, path that I was going to take was to do what I was doing already just on a freelance basis. So I was going to do freelance marketing and design and go from there. Sure. Okay. And then you probably made some contacts. So you had maybe some possible clients or, you know, you at least were kind of, you've been out there for a little while. So that seemed like a logical leap. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few clients and I had really kind of a good network of people that I had met along the way. And, and I thought I had kind of a strong enough lead to make a go of it. So So did you actually jump into trying to do that first or did you, what happened next? I guess I did. Well, I did that for a few months actually. Um, and along with doing that, somebody had introduced me to, um, Etsy.com and I had done some wedding invitation designs just kind of on the side for friends and stuff. And they said, well, you should put your stuff up on Etsy and see if it sells. And I went, Oh, that sounds like an interesting kind of side to what I was doing with the freelance And so I created a few designs and I put them up and it really just kind of snowballed from there. It did really well. Um, I was making lots of sales and having a lot of fun doing the wedding invitations and stationery. And so I thought, well, this is way more fun than marketing and design. So I just kind of abandoned that and said, I'm all in for wedding stationery. So how would that work? Um, forgive me for my ignorance on this. Uh, when it comes to Etsy, I've always thought it was being prefab stuff that, you know, you buy it, it looks the way it looks, this is it. But if you're talking about wedding stationery, wouldn't there need to be some personalization or were you doing stuff that was generic enough where it could work for anybody? Um, it's a little bit of both. So the, what I was, I did a lot of custom stuff and that's where a lot of my original designs came from was people that were looking for something specific. You know, we want a wedding invitation that has a tree and a bird and in these colors or whatever. And I would do something custom for them. Um, so there was kind of that side of it. And then I also had pre-designed invitations, um, that they could just modify that design with their own, colors, paper colors, and their own information put into the design. Oh, okay. So would you provide like digital files for them to do that or? Nope. So everything that I sold was, um, actual products. So we would go through the, the process of creating the design for them digitally, you know, back and forth through PDFs and approval. And then once approved, I would print the invitations for them and ship them out to them. And at this point, this was all facilitated through Etsy. Yep. Wow. I, I didn't even realize that Etsy had that type of capability. I didn't realize that it was, it could lead to kind of a client type of relationship. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so were you using the roughhouse art name at that point? I was. Yep. So where did that come from? I, I'm assuming it's because partially you're a dog lover. Yeah. Yeah. My logo was actually, um, my dog, Jack, who he was a great Dane and he passed away this, this past summer. 
Um, but he was just a puppy when I started. And so, um, he was kind of my muse, I guess. And it was a kind of a fun, recognizable logo. And I liked the play on the words rough house. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. So you've got this rough house name, you're doing this through Etsy, which is obviously not something within your control, but you're making decent money. You get a lot of sales, have a lot of relationships. What's the next step from there for you? Um, you know, I did that for, let's see, until about 2011. So probably two years, I kind of grew my wedding line, grew my presence. Um, and then in 2011, Brian, who I mentioned previously, um, moved out to Kansas, um, so we could start our life together. And he, with his background in web development said, you know, we should, take this to the next step, build you a website, um, and kind of move it off of, you know, we never, I'm still on Etsy and that's where I still get a lot of my clients from, but, you know, have like a standalone present with a website. And so we did that. And along with that added, um, a retail line. So we then had a wedding stationary line where we did custom wedding invitations. And then we also had a retail line of greeting cards, art prints, those kind of things that we sold retail on our website and on Etsy. And then we also wholesale to boutiques and shops. So how fast did it, did all this happen with opening the retail store? Because to me, that's like, that's a huge jump where you've got your physical space, you've got potentially employees and you've got foot traffic. Was that kind of happening at the same time when Brian moved out or did that kind of happen more no, gradually? We didn't open the retail store until November of last year. Okay. So the retail store is the last thing. Sorry. But then you, you yeah. had expanded with the website and the wholesale before uh-huh. that. And so that kind of really took off. And so we, um, I expanded that in December of 2011. And then in May of 2012, I kind of launched my product line at the national stationery show in New York um, which is a wholesale only store. So, or show. So other boutiques, big brands, small brick and mortar shops, everybody that kind of has a, is a buyer is there. And, um, it, we did really well. We picked up Nordstrom off of that show along with, um, a lot of other kind of smaller boutiques. And it, that kind of launched the wholesale retail line for me. Wow, this is—I'm still trying to wrap my head around this because there's a lot more facets to your business than I realized. I mean, what would yeah. you—if you were to break it down between like your wholesale business to your in-store retail to your custom like wedding stuff, like what percentage revenue-wise does that break down? If you know offhand, um, yeah, I consider—I a little bit consider our brick-and-mortar store kind of a separate business a little bit. I keep it separate um, financially and stuff too, so I kind of have two businesses, which the brick and mortar and then kind of the back end of rough house art and the back end, which would be the wedding custom wedding stationery and the retail wholesale. Um, for a long time, the wedding was really the big bulk of it. You know, I would say 70 to 75% was wedding and the rest of it was wholesale. But over the, I mean, since 2011, I mean, that was four years ago my name is getting out there. Shops are hearing about rough house art. I would say it's shifted more to, you know, 50, 50 between the weddings and the wholesale. And then, um, the shop, the brick and mortar store is just kind of its own beast in itself. Sure. Retail is a very unique thing. Yeah, (laughs) no doubt. So how do you balance all these different facets of your business? 
Um, it's pretty hard. It's I feel like I'm crazy most days. <laughs> so would you say that you uh, you are the person, like you are the rough house art a good driving force? Maybe that's a good way to put it. Or does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, up until recently, so in um, February, I hired a part-time girl to help with the shop because it was getting too much to you know, manage the day-to-day walk-in clients of the shop and do the back end of the business. Wait, so before that, you didn't have any employees? Nope, it was just me. So it was crazy. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, that (laughs) would be... Yeah, it's a lot. When I would have like big orders, you know, we... um, Last Christmas, we had a big order with World Market to do some gift wrap, you know, and I would bring in temporary people to kind of help with those big orders. But for the most part, it's just been myself. And then um, in August of this year, I actually hired a full-time store manager to run the shop so that I could kind of refocus back on the wholesale and the wedding line, which I've neglected a little bit since the brick and mortar store opened up and that kind of consumed my life for about the last year. So now that it's kind of up and running and um, all the wheels are turning, um, the store manager kind of handles kind of the day to day of all that and gives me time to work on the back end with new design and managing the wholesale relationships, et cetera. Oh, sure. Well, that, that would all be very time consuming also. So I understand yeah. <laughs> why you would do that. So where's your production facility? Is that connected to the store? Or is that somewhere else? It is. It's connected. So our space, um, the front part of the store is the brick and mortar retail store. And then we have a separating wall, with some windows that you can see back into the studio and all of the presses, the letter presses are back there. Um, all of our back stock. So all the production happens back there. And then there's kind of a loft area above that where my office is. And, and yeah. Were you doing all the production too? I didn't even ask that, but that just occurred to me. Um, yeah, most of it, any of anything that's letter pressed is done by me in our studio. Um, which is really the bulk of the product line. Um, there are some things that I outsource to um, a local offset printer, like our gift wrap, just because it's too large to fit on our presses and um, some notepads and some different things like that that I do outsource. But most of it's done in-house by me. Okay. A little bit actually about my background. I did work for a printing and packaging company and uh, we did have a couple letterpress machines. My family actually is in printing and packaging. So uh, we had a Heidelberg and we had a Kluge, but both of which were only used for die cutting, not for any printing. So I never actually got to see any letterpress printing. Yeah, I have a Heidelberg as well uh, that we do printing on and then a Kluge that we do die cutting on and then a Chandler and Price, which is similar to the Kluge um, that we do printing on as well. So where did you learn how to run letterpress equipment? That was something that we, I don't think we've covered yet. Um, I am self-taught in that. And I think most people that probably own letterpress stationery or letterpress uh, shops are self-taught just because it's such kind of an old technology. I did take one class in college, um, one letterpress class, but it was on tabletop presses, which are a little bit different than the presses that we operate. And so I had kind of a basic knowledge of how it worked. But, um, my first press was the Chandler and price and it was really just trial and error and like trying to go online and watch YouTube videos and figuring it out. So, so how did you get the wherewithal to buy that, that piece of equipment to get started with this operation? Cause you said you'd gotten laid off. Right. And so uh-huh. how did, how did you get that going? I mean, it, that seems like a big deal. It's like, Hey, I'm going to go buy a letterpress and I'm going to start, <laughs> I'm going to start printing. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't start out as a letterpress company. When I started with the wedding invitations, I didn't have a press and I was just doing digitally printed invitations. So flat printed invitations. And, 
And then um, I had a friend of the family that had this letterpress and it had been in their family for um, years just sitting in a warehouse and they were going to sell it on eBay. They had no idea what it even was or if it ran. Um, and they were like, well, would you, maybe you would like to have it before we put it up on eBay. And I was like, well, sure. I would love to have it. And so they gave me my first letterpress, which was really awesome. So, um, and then it was probably a good, you know, four to six months until I actually incorporated into my business. You know, it was a little intimidating at first and trying to figure out, you know, how to run it and how to, create product and a quality that would have been good enough to sell to people. Sure. And so from there, then you've managed to build it out to looks like I'm looking at your website. Now you have four pieces of equipment that uh-huh. are involved. Uh-huh. Wow. So yeah, that I'm just thinking of how fortunate it was that you happen to have these family friends who had this piece of equipment, because if they didn't, would you have ever gotten into this? Do you think? Well, I don't know, you know, maybe not. I mean, and it's I, hard to, it's hard to say it's it a counterfactual history, but I just, um, you know, I might've followed the same path and my business would just be more evolved around flat printing than around letterpress. But I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, it's really interesting to me because the printing world has definitely struggled. I think with the more traditional like offset and whatnot has kind of gone away, but yet there seems to be this really popular call it hipster, call it whatever you want fascination with artisanal kind of more, uh, I wouldn't say handcrafted, obviously you're using a piece of equipment, but letterpress is definitely in vogue. And so you managed to kind of hit this, it seems at the right time. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's really kind of gotten trendy. And I think people, you know, a lot of people say, why, why do you own a stationary company when nobody buys stationary anymore? And I'm like, well, more people buy it than you think they do. And I think people are just looking for something, um, non-traditional, you know, they don't want to like buy the Hallmark brand cards. They want to buy something that's a little more personable or a little nicer or, you know, that they took a little bit more time to pick out than something like that. I'm totally that person. I go to this little, it's a chain of boutiques in town and my sister just graduated from grad school and I, I bought her and her boyfriend both cards that were like five or six bucks or something because they were funny. They were funny. Yeah. They were interesting. They were unique. Um, there was extra design thought and care put into it. And that made a big difference to me. And I think that what you're saying is exactly true. Like there's a huge niche out there supporting this type of business. But yeah. what what I think is really interesting about your story is you have this design background, which makes perfect sense. And obviously you're a very good designer. You put together stuff that people like, but then transitioning from that to running this business with all these facets, like where's the overlap with skills or like with the letterpress, did you have to just kind of learn that stuff on your own? Oh, I feel like most of it was, um, just learning, you know, trial by fire. Like you figure it out, you know, I mean, I had the design background, so the actual designing of the products, is the easy part. And then, you know, you have to figure out how to produce them. Where do you buy paper? How do you get it printed? You have to be customer service. You have to learn marketing. You have to learn shipping. You know, it's just, you're kind of like a one man do it all. And it's, it's pretty crazy. Everything that you have to know how to do. When right. Right. When it's only you basically. And I guess <laughs> yeah. it's like you said, you have a store manager, which I'm sure is going to help a lot because you don't have to be sitting in a retail store from nine to five every day, but then you've got to pay that person too. So how do you like being an employer so far? Cause that's sometimes I think people say it's not their favorite thing in the world, but you know, it's something you sometimes have to do if you want to grow. 
Yeah, I, I feel like it's really tough for me because I'm not very good at um, micromanaging people. You know, I, I don't want to have to micromanage people. I don't have time to sit there and do that. So I, I've just been really fortunate. My store manager, she is amazing. You really only have to show her how to do something once and she just kind of takes the lead and she's really awesome. So I feel like there's not um, too much of this having to really strictly manage her and she's really reliable. So that's good you know, for me and my personality. Oh, definitely. Well, that makes sense. So you've got somebody capable running that side of the business. You've got Brian to help out with the web stuff. And I'm guessing he's told me a little bit uh, about the tech kind of integration stuff with your point of sale and maybe your online store. So you've kind of got that part covered, which leaves you then managing probably everything else, I'm guessing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what kind of time commitment are we talking about? I mean, what? how is... Your life before, when you were just doing design for clients, and and then eventually you started doing the wedding stuff. Like, how has your life changed now that you have all these different parts of your business running right now? Um, it's pretty crazy. You know, I feel like from when I started my business, we'll say maybe like a year into my business, it's been so much more of a time commitment than anyone anyone would probably guess. You know, when you work, you know, you work for a company and you're employed nine to five that's when you work, you work nine to five and you go home and you, you know, you have your life. And so when you own a business and you're the only person that does everything, every part of your life kind of overlaps, you know, you work all day and then sometimes you work all night and you know, it just kind of, it's really crazy. And you just have to kind of fit stuff in where, where you can. What does your average day look like? Would you say if there Uh, is such a thing, maybe there isn't. Yeah. Well, no, um, you know, it's gotten more routine since we've had kids and, you know, I have a five-year-old that's in kindergarten now and then he just had a baby, um, in September. So I feel like it has to be a little bit more routine than it was before I had kids. But, um, so I get up, take my, uh, my five-year-old to kindergarten and then I head to the shop about eight or eight thirty. The store is open 10 to 6 to the public. So I get there, I have, you know, two hours or so kind of on my own to, which is probably my favorite time of the day when nobody else is there and I can just really kind of focus and get stuff done. And then I typically leave um, about five, leave the shop about five to come home and, and um, then the kids go to bed about eight. And so a lot of times I'll sit on the couch and, work until bed, you know, placing orders or, um, you know, working on different stuff for clients. And so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. This episode of U-Turn is sponsored by Electric Pulp. Electric Pulp is a full-service digital agency specializing in smart, modern solutions for web and mobile. Founded in 1996, Electric Pulp has deep technical roots in business solutions and e-commerce and works with a wide range of clients, including well-known brands like Ford, O'Neill, and HP. Electric Pulp works on projects of all shapes and sizes and can handle strategy, design, development, search and analytics, social and email, as well as ongoing support for your company's next project. To get started, visit them at electricpulp.com or send them a note at hello at electricpulp.com. Thanks to Electric Pulp for sponsoring U-Turn. Where do you find time to do the design part of your job? Well, that's the hardest part, actually. <laughs> you know, it's like 
I spend 95% of my day doing everything but design. Like, like production and logistics and all these other things that we're talking about, but you don't... I mean, design is one of those things, I think, where you have to sit, you have to focus, kind of maybe yeah. set yourself off a little bit from everybody else. And it sounds like your day doesn't really allow for that very much. Yeah. I mean, there are days where I go, okay, I'm going to set everything else aside and I take the whole day today and I'm just going to, I'm going to crank out five or six new cards. And that's what, you know, but that's, that's what you have to do. You have to go, okay, one day in two weeks, you know, you're going to set aside to do that. And then even that day, some, you know, stuff comes up, you know, an emergency comes up and in the shop or something happens. And so it doesn't always even happen then. So it's always, that's the hardest thing is to find time to come out with new products and, and really hone in on the brand. Do you have a product cycle that you try to keep up? Do you have seasonal things where you try to have new things ready for certain times of the year, like graduation season or, you know, other times that people, you know, buy cards. Yeah. And there's kind of a cyclical, um, season to the wholesale side where, you know, certain months people buy for certain seasons, you know, like you're, you're going to want to be designing holiday stuff in the summer, you know, so that the retail stores can kind of prepare for what they're going to plan to carry in their shop for the holidays. So, um, you know, and the bigger stores, it's even further out than that. So if you're going to sell to paper source or Nordstrom or some of these bigger shops, you know, they buy their holiday stuff in like February or March for the later in the year's Christmas season. So, um, you kind of always have to be really far out in advance when you're planning stuff. That sounds pretty difficult (laughs) given your schedule, given what you've said about the time commitment that you have managing production and managing retail, uh, again, hopefully less of that now, but then still also having to have those designs ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot easier, um, to kind of manage those timelines before I opened the shop. Like I said, I've, I've neglected my wholesale line a little bit over the last year, um, because the shop has taken up so much of my time, but, um, that's why I hired my store manager. So she can kind of take over that kind of stuff. And she, she also takes over a little bit of the back end production. Like she does, um, shipping and order fulfillment and a few other things, um, have been taken off my plate. So I'm really looking forward to having the time to get back on my product line and come out with some new stuff. Sure. No, that makes sense. Was it hard to bring on this person? Was it, or did you just reach a breaking point where you and Brian realized we're going crazy? We can't do this anymore. It's not worth the time. <laughs> or how, how did that process go to bring on your first employee? Um, it was a, it's a pretty hard decision. I mean, you know, it's a lot to have to, um, pay that employee and, you know, and then there's a lot of back end stuff that goes with hiring an employee. You know, you have to have insurance on those employees and pay payroll taxes on those employees. And there's kind of all of that stuff. And so, um, our first, when we opened up the shop, the, our first plan was that we were just going to hire somebody to work on the weekends so that we weren't working seven days a week, you know, every day of the year. And so that kind of evolved into, um, that was working out and that was going well and, and freeing up some sanity. And then during the week I thought, you know, I'm not getting anything done other than sitting here helping walk in clients, um, in the shop. I'm not getting anything done on the back end. You know, shipping was kind of slipping and, and customer service on the back end and everything. So I thought I need someone in at least in here a few days a week, to give me that time to focus on those other clients. And, and so I, I hired somebody to do that and 
that kind of started going well. And then I think, um, with us having a baby in September, it really pushed me into hiring that full-time person going, I'm going to have to do something now that I have a newborn too. Which is a whole nother thing. <laughs> so yeah. we haven't even talked about really all the stuff you have to do with kids and, and taking care of them. And yeah. and yet you still have to, to keep this business, a growing business. You have to keep it growing, you know, obviously. Right. So, and I, your weeks have to be crazy. I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to have this type of schedule. And it's, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of stressing me out just to think about it. But <laughs> it does sound like that you've made some really good strides as far as, you know, shoring things up on the retail side. So you don't have to spend so much time doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've really kind of taken a step back from the brick and mortar shop, which has been, um, nice. And now my, my involvement with that is more, um, as just like a buyer and buying products for the shop and maintaining our inventory. And then the shop manager, she kind of handles all the day-to-day stuff, you know, the walk-in clients and people that come in and place custom orders and those kind of things. Are you glad you have the retail store? I mean, is it a good part of your business and something you want to keep there? Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like that uh, we've been kind of thinking about having a retail store for years before we actually opened it. And that was kind of always, um, the goal. And so I actually love having that part of it. And I feel like it definitely adds, um, a little bit of legitness to the back end of my business. (laughs) If that makes sense. You know, it's funny, like before I had the brick and mortar store and people would say, well, what do you do for a living? And I would say, oh, I own a letterpress stationery company and, um, you know, we sell online. And I think most people kind of think, oh, you're a stay at home mom and you sell a few things on Etsy. You know, I, that's, I think just sure. how you probably work a few hours a day and, and that's probably your life. And they had kind of, you have no grasp of, of how big it was. And then since we've opened the brick and mortar store, you know, people take it a little bit more seriously, I guess, you know, and then people can actually come in and see our equipment and see the production and, and know it's a little bit bigger than, you know, we just sell a few things online. Well, how big of a city is Lawrence? I've never been before. Um, it's about 80,000. So it's not huge, but that's decent size. I imagine that you get some decent foot traffic then. Yeah. The downtown area is really neat. It's really historic. It's about four or five blocks of, um, these old buildings and it's all, well, most of it is just mom and pop shops, like really unique stores. And, and so it's a really, it's kind of like the heart of our city and, and, um, people from Kansas city is only about 30 minutes away. So we get a lot of traffic from Kansas city that come downtown. And so, yeah, it's pretty good. So did you ever think when you were a little kid that someday you would own a mom and pop shop in, in Lawrence, Kansas? <laughs> no. I mean, if you'd even told me five years ago when I started Rough House Art that I would own a brick and mortar store on in downtown Lawrence, I would go probably think you're crazy too. You know, it's just, it's kind of evolved into that. And that's why we're talking because it, it's, I think it's a way more interesting story than you realize because I think a lot of people have this idea of, of starting something or doing something different or making a change, but there's a fear there maybe, or they don't think that they can learn the skills they need to go and do that thing. Mm-hmm. But I think your story seems to show you can learn so much of it on your own and, and just kind of learn by trial and error and that you're not going to fail by doing that. It, it seems, right? at least from your example, like you not knowing how to, how to handle wholesale clients didn't stop you from doing it and eventually learning how to do it and being successful. Right, right. You know, and 
you really just kind of have to jump all in and you can't like halfway do it and go, well, I'm going to, I'm going to test the waters. Like you just have to dive in. I mean, <laughs> and you're not going to be successful unless you're all in. And, and then, you know, you ask a lot of people for help too. I, the stationary community is a really awesome community of people just like me that have started their own business and everybody kind of helps each other out, which is really nice. You know, if you have questions on, on, you know, different things, if, if this marketing worked for you and so you kind of build relationships and you can bounce ideas off of other people. That's interesting. I guess I would have expected maybe that the community would be a little more competitive, but it sounds like that's not really the case that people are willing to help out other people. Yeah, I think so. And I feel like, um, that was kind of one of my biggest takeaways from going to our first show in New York in 2012 was I thought it would be that way too, where people would be really competitive and, and, um, but no, it was like everybody, it was like a nice community and a sense of camaraderie. And, um, and so it was, it was really kind of nice. Like everybody kind of has their own style. You know, we all sell pretty much the same thing. We all sell greeting cards and prints and different things, but everybody has their own kind of niche in the market. And so, you know, it's nice to help everybody out. And maybe there's a place for everybody, especially if it's growing, which it it does kind of seem like it it is. I mean, has your business grown every year since you started it? It has. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's not to say that the stationary industry isn't super competitive. I feel like every day there's 10 new people starting their own greeting card company. You know, it's, it's really competitive and it's, it's a, a tough industry, but you know, you really just have to find like your niche and really go kind of into that niche and, and be a hustler with it. So how would you describe your niche? What is the rough house art niche? Um, you know, I, you know, with my design style, a lot of people are funny. A lot of people have these really humorous card lines. Um, I'm not funny. So if you're not funny, don't try to be funny. Um, <laughs> that's, that's know. good advice right there from Jill Shepard, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Or <laughs> if you're um, not funny, don't try to be funny. Yeah. Well, it's true. You know, I mean, then you just sound silly if you're not really funny and you're trying to be funny. And then, you know, um, hand lettering, is really kind of trendy right now, calligraphy and hand lettering. And that's not really in my skill set either, but a lot of companies are doing it and, and it's really trendy and being really successful at it. But, um, I feel like if I tried to do that, it would just fall short. And so I kind of build on my own skills and I have kind of this, um, flat, you know, basic graphic design style that, um, I've kind of honed into. It's got a little bit of a vintage vibe and, and, you know, it's one of those where you go, you want, you want to see your card and a whole pile of cards and people to be able to pick your card out and go, that's a rough house art card versus not really being able to distinguish your brand. So distinguishing style seems to be pretty important in this space. Yeah, I definitely think so. Cause especially now I feel like I have this kind of backstage view now that I opened up a brick and mortar store. Cause I get to see kind of everybody's back end. <laughs> oh, sure. And, and it's really true. You know, I feel like I, you know, I have one whole wall of my shop is just greeting cards and I feel like I can walk along that wall and point at any card and know pretty much whose card that is just by the style that it's done in. So I really think kind of finding your own style and niche is super important. And so you do sell other people's cards. I guess we didn't really talk about that, but yep. Yep. Obviously hidden behind other things, you know, hidden behind rough house art. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because our, 
uh, brick and mortar store, I have all of my own products in the shop, of course, but then we have about a hundred other vendors that we carry. Um, mostly stationary is what I sell, but we have some gift items, you know, like candles and a few other things, tea towels and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of it is just stationary, you know, greeting cards, journals, those kind of things. So, yeah. One thing I haven't really asked about that I'm kind of curious about, sorry if this is uh, random, but how do you handle production for these large wholesale orders in the midst of maybe other things that you want to be doing um, or your wedding stuff or whatever? Like, how do you manage to schedule that all out? Um, it's pretty crazy sometimes, and it depends on the size of the order. Um, it's gotten a little bit easier since I have a few employees now that I can – nobody runs the presses but me, so I can – do all the printing and then they can do all the assembly, which takes a little bit off of my plate. And so as they're sitting there, you know, running the shop, they can be stuffing greeting cards um, into sleeves and different things like that. But, um, and a lot of the times when you get an order, like paper sources, a company that orders pretty regularly from us. Um, and you usually have about a two to three week window to fill that order. So, you know, I try to just, um, schedule it out over those two to three weeks. So it's not like 24 hours a day trying to wrap up this one thing, you know, you could do a little bit every day. Do you ever end up having to do late nights in order to meet these deadlines? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that you'll ever try to expand your production in a way where you maybe have a couple of employees who do just operating the presses that would free you up from having to do that? Or is that something that you want to keep your hands involved in? No, I think eventually, um, that, on the the back end side of the business, so the non brick and mortar side, that would probably be one of my next hires is a production person. So somebody to run the presses and do kind of that day to day keeping up with um, keeping stuff stocked and those kind of things. Because that that's kind of a big portion of my day and it takes a lot of time. And but um, that's gonna it takes the right person to do that too. Because and the right, um, time as well, because like workers comp on an employee that runs the presses in itself is pretty high just because of the risk involved. Are there parts of your business that you think you'll never want to give up so that it stays Jill Shepard, you know, it's got your stamp on it. It sounds like production maybe isn't one of those things. Um, No, the design side for sure is that, I mean, like that's the part of the business that I really love is doing the design. Like if I could spend all day doing one thing, it would be coming out with new products. So in a perfect world, I would have other people to do every facet of my business except for design. You know, I'd have somebody that ran the presses and somebody that does shipping and somebody that does customer service and somebody that does all of that stuff. And then I could just sit at my desk all day and design. That would be a perfect world. Do you think that that's (laughs) achievable? Um, I think eventually, you know, um, like I said, it's going to, my next year of kind of growth is really jumping back on the wholesale side. Um, now that the brick and mortar store is running and really trying to grow that and, um, you know, get more clients and, and grow that so that it is, um, it will be able to sustain kind of another employee. Sure. Because with products, you've got basically products scattered, hopefully, ideally around the country, around the world, just kind of selling themselves and, you know, bringing in money for you where then you'd have the ability to do that, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Jill's ideal world, you're sitting in the, in your office, uh, designing away and then somebody else is running the presses and managing fulfillment. Cause I don't think I asked you that. Who does all the fulfillment and the shipping? Is that you too? Or? Yep. Yep. So that's all done. Um, 
through our shop. And so, like I said, the store manager, I've handed a lot of stuff off to her, you know, where orders come in, um, and I hand them off to her and she fills them, you know, we have, you know, ready to go stock sitting on our shelves so she can pull that stock, put it in a box and ship it. And so that's really taken a lot off my plate too, which has been nice. Oh, okay. So like the smaller orders and stuff, the more Mm -hmm. she'll just pull them right off. Okay. But then as far as like your big wholesale stuff, like I'm not sure, like what does an average order from a, one of your bigger wholesale clients look like? Like how many pieces are they ordering at a time? Um, I would say like an average store, like rough house art, you know, a mom and pop store, their average order probably ranges from like two to $300. And, you know, it's probably these 60 to 80 cards maybe. And so, um, a lot of that we have stocked, you know, I have all of our cards we have, you know, try to have over a hundred of every card stocked at all the times so that when people place orders and wholesale orders typically order in sets of six. So you'll order like six of this card, six of this card, et cetera. So then we have enough stocked that when those orders do come in, it's a quick turnaround within a couple days and just pulling those products off the shelf and shipping them out. Um, of course, every now and then, you know, you, you have to restock. And so orders come in, you're missing three pieces of their order. And so then you kind of have to plan the rest of the week and go, okay, I need to do production on these five colors and get these, you know, 10 products restocked. So, so stepping back, maybe on a more broad scale, do you feel successful? If somebody was to ask you, Jill, do you feel successful? What would you say? I mean, it, you've got this big, sprawling roughhouse art empire now. It sounds like, <laughs> but it runs you ragged. But at the same time, I mean, do you do you step back ever and and feel like you've made a success of this? Yeah, I think so. I feel like um, it's really easy to kind of get um, your eyes set on one thing, and you kind of get buried in everything that needs to get done, and you go oh, I'm failing or I have these orders that I have to get out and it's really stressful. And then, but I feel like I always have to step back and go, look how far I've come. You know, I have now have this brick and mortar store and I have this big studio and I have, I sell to hundreds of other shops around the country. And, and that, you know, that's a pretty impressive feat, I think. Um, I think so too. And so, yeah. So I think both days I feel pretty successful and I'm, I'm able to like maintain it and keep my business going. And so, yeah. What are the best parts of an average day? Um, you know, like I said, those two hours in the morning <laughs> that nobody's there, quiet. It's yes. probably the best time it's quiet. I can really focus and, um, you know, get things done in those two hours. And those are kind of the two hours that I really love of the day, but there's all kinds of parts of the day that are really fun. It's really fun. Now that we've opened up the shop, people come in and so many people have a connection to letterpress, you know, their dad was a pressman or their grandpa had a letterpress or it's always really fun to hear people's stories on how they can kind of relate to my business. Um, which that's been really fun too, since opening the shop. Yeah, I suppose before that you wouldn't have had much of that direct contact. It was probably mostly digital or, you know, you're talking to clients over the internet or something, but yeah. Uh, brick and mortar is a totally different thing and you get all sorts of characters, I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny. You know, I we have to laugh at some of the things people say. Um every day you get the same questions. There's three questions. Everybody walks in, they say, Oh my gosh, how long have you been here? Like you hear that question ten times a day, or do you actually use those machines back there? <laughs> 
And I go, yeah, I just moved in 15,000 pounds of machinery for looks. Of course. And then, um, do you make everything in here? And then I go, yes, because I'm that awesome. You know, no, I don't make everything in here. Like I am not a candle maker and I don't whittle pencils and (laughs) like. (laughs) Maybe that's the next part of your business. Those three questions get asked 10 times every single day. So have you thought about making some really elaborate letterpress art that could hang from the ceiling that would have the answers to those questions on it? That's so funny. My mom actually suggested that. She was like, you should hang a sign behind you that says, We've been open since November of 2014. Yes, we use machines. No, we don't make everything. <laughs> Until next year when you start making artisanal pencils, but that's a whole other yeah. thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the next business right there. Yeah. Are there any parts of, of your day-to-day tasks that you just really don't care for at all? Um, oh, yeah. Like, I hate to do shipping. Like, Oh, it's just like the mindless work that drives me crazy. Like shipping is probably one of the worst. Um, and then, you know, there are days where I don't like doing production either, you know, standing behind the letterpress for eight hours is, it wears you out and it's tiring and kind of mindless sometimes too. So yeah, there's definitely parts of it that I go, well, it'd be nice if somebody else would do this. (laughs) But maybe sometime soon, right? Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Things keep going well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So everybody should go to uh, roughhouseart.com and order a whole bunch of stuff. And then Jill can <laughs> focus on the two hours in the morning and do some design and uh, maybe have somebody else do the, the other things that aren't as much fun. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. So if you were to go back in time, let's say go back that that uh, Jill is starting out on Etsy, kind of getting started in this thing. Roughhouse Art now is a a name you're putting out there. What would you go back and tell yourself if you could tell yourself anything? Um, I think it would be to try not to pigeonhole yourself too much in one area. I know when I first launched, um, my own retail line, I, I thought I don't want to just be another greeting card company. Like I don't want to, I don't want my whole product line to be centered around greeting cards. I wanted to make other things, you know, still have greeting cards, but make other things. And then, you know, it eventually turned into a greeting card company. And now the bulk of my product line is greeting cards because that's what sells. And, and so I think that you have to just be really flexible to kind of the path that it's going to take you and, and not be too stubborn in kind of going down the path that you originally envisioned and being able to veer off and take other paths from there. So be open to what the market is telling you in other words, because you know, you got to eat, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mean, if I hadn't been open to that, you know, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I definitely don't think I would own a greeting card store if I didn't want originally to be just another greeting card company. So I definitely think that you have to kind of be open to wherever your path is going to take you and, and follow the trends and, you know, they're trends for a reason. So, so I'm guessing you're glad that you made this change that you went on this path from designer you know, strictly print designer doing, you know, job to job every year, whatever, on a new place, now owner of Roughhouse Art. You're glad you made that change. Oh, yeah. And I that is also like a huge motivator, too, and going, well, if this doesn't work, I have to go back to that, which I don't want to go back to that. So <laughs> you make it work. <laughs> sure. I suppose that would be a pretty strong motivator. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that you've been able to rely on, as you said, you've, I mean, you've, people in the community have been a huge help to you, but your husband, it sounds like Brian's been a big help in making this successful and kind of filling in the gaps where you might not necessarily have the skills. Mm-hmm. Have there been other things like that, like family or friends that have been able to step in and kind of help you with your business and, and keeping it going? 
or has it been mostly just you? Um, it's been a large part, just me and Brian. And of course my family has helped out a lot and they're huge supporters and, you know, they always have, you know, have faith that it's going to work out, which is really nice to just have that kind of support and people that have faith in that you're going to make it happen. So, um, but yeah, you know, and my parents have helped out, you know, in, in the past financially as well, kind of getting a few things off the ground, which has been, you know, a huge in moving me forward as well. So, but I think on the business side, it's been a lot myself and Brian. Now I got to ask, how are you guys going to be handling the family life and the, the child care? Now you have the new baby with all these responsibilities you have and all the time you put in, how do you find that balance? Um, it's, it's tough. You know, I feel like it's, um, always kind of a, a learning curve, you know, before Mila started kindergarten here in August. And before that she was in full-time daycare. And so, um, we'll put our new daughter in daycare probably in November or December and, and, uh, which will free up, you know, our days to work all day. So yeah, sure, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Are you able to carve out enough time to spend with your daughter uh, when, well, I guess daughters now technically, but uh, you're not you know, really spending time with a baby in the same sense, but are you able to find time then in the evenings to say, okay, this is family time before you get back on other stuff? Oh yeah. Like I come home, like I said, uh, generally about five o'clock and then I put work completely aside until they're in bed. So um, you know, that time in the evening is just family time. And then, you know, on the weekends, the weekends that I don't have to go into the shop and work, um, I really try to kind of focus on family as well and work as little as possible on the weekends as well. And then the weekends that I do have to go into the shop, you know, a lot of times everybody comes with me, you know, Brian comes with me and the kids come with me and it's just kind of like a family day at the shop then. So well, I'm guessing that people that stop by love that probably. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, a lot of the shops downtown are, you know, family owned and, and I think people really like to see that the personality behind who owns the business. Is it hard to set the business aside, you know, on these weekends where you've decided I'm not going to go into the shop, I'm not going to do anything. Does it ever really leave your mind? Are you able to think, okay, I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to worry about answering the phone. Or is that always kind of there in the background in case something happens or... I feel like it's, especially now that, um, I have this store, it's always, um, always there. I feel like I always have to have my phone on just in case something does happen when I'm not there. And, um, my employees have to get a hold of me for any reason or anything is happening. Um, I always kind of have to be on call for that, but, you know, I try not to just sit there, you know, on my computer or on my phone, you know, and, and try to be present in my, with my kids, you know, as much as I can. It's got to be tough, but it sounds like you guys do an okay job of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it is tough, you know, and I feel like we waited so long to have another kid, you know, a lot in that for that reason, you know, you have to kind of wait it until the first one's a little bit more um she can take care of herself a little bit more and <laughs> it's yeah. not so hard with like two tiny ones. Oh, that'd be brutal. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how people do it, but obviously you find a way and you care about things and you want to make it successful, so. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, this, I think that pretty much covers it. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I don't think so. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Rough House Art can be found at Rough House Art on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Rough House Art. Again, it's Rough, R-U-F-F, like the dog. And you got your uh, cute little dog in the, uh, 
the logo. So check it out. Awesome stuff. So thanks again, Jill. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks. Thanks again to Electric Pulp for sponsoring this episode of U-Turn. Visit them on the web at electricpulp.com or send them a note at hello at electricpulp.com to get started on your company's next project.